You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Election College, Episode 87. What's up with political conventions? Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts... Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Hey, Jason, it's getting close in here in 2016 to time for the political conventions. And we just talked about superdelegates and we constantly are talking about nominations and stuff like that. I figure it's about time we talk about the actual convention itself. Yeah. That's kind of exciting. I mean, you get your crazy looking hat and you go to whatever city your party is deciding is a great place to party. And um, yeah, we've been doing this for a long time as a country. Yeah. As a real quick aside, I remember being probably I don't know, 10 to 14 years old, somewhere in that neighborhood and seeing like, oh, hey, there's Congress. They're in session. Uh, they're in this nice orderly fashion and all wearing suits. And then I'd see videos from the conventions and think that it was the same people and the same one. Well, some of it is, but uh, and see how crazy they were going and be like, this is this is not the same kind of environment. Definitely conventions are a totally crazy thing. But like Jason said, they've been going on for a long time now. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, a United States presidential nominating convention is a political convention that's held every four years. And just about any party that has any chance of winning a presidential race, they will select a city and they will field nominees for the U.S. presidential election. Yeah, and every party is a little bit different. They each have their own different ways of participating and uh, the way that the actual convention is formatted. Um, pretty much if you're in a U.S. state or territory, you get a bunch of representatives and we'll call those delegates for the uh, remainder of the episode. And together they make up what they call the delegation for the party. Yeah, so... The delegates or the delegation will adopt all kinds of stuff during the convention because that's what you do, right? Uh, they get together. And stuff. Ex- yeah, exactly. I'm sure that there's been puppies adopted as a result. Uh, but speaking of puppies, they put together their platform. the The party platform is established at these conventions, and really, uh, lately. Um, in more recent history, the conventions are seen more as a, just a formality because by and large, we already know who the candidate is going to be going into these things. It wasn't always so. 
Yeah, we have an episode a few back, what, three or four back, about uh, contested and brokered conventions. You should go listen to that if you are interested in uh, in how those work. And we'll talk a little bit about them here. But at this point, we know about primaries and we know about how delegates are chosen to vote for uh, the particular candidates that they're supporting and the people are supporting. And they actually get up and they go to the convention and they place their vote for those people. And whoever comes out with the biggest vote wins. So that's kind of the long and short of how everything works. Yeah. So conventions usually happen in the summer. The convention cycle actually begins with the call to convention. And this is usually issued about 18 months before the convention happens. And the call is an invitation from the National Party uh, where they're like, hey, state parties and hey, territorial parties, come, let's select a presidential nominee. And they also establish the number of delegates that will be awarded to each state and territory, and as well as the rules for the nomination process. Yeah, so the conventions are pretty much scheduled for about four days of business type activities. and. A couple of the conventions have been a little bit shorter, but apparently it takes about four days for everybody to go through their uh, nomination process and and just saying someone's name out loud, apparently. Uh, there have been numerous things that have come up that have disturbed the uh, the order of things and the, and the amount of time spent. Some of them have been the Olympics. Some of them have been uh, weather there have been instances where there have been football games or um, other type of sporting events interfere with the schedule. And then there have also been like in 2008, the uh, convention was pushed back a little bit because of some finance laws. And uh, that would be a good, a really good uh, episode, Jason, some campaign finance laws and fundraising restrictions and stuff like that. Yeah. People love fun. to talk about restrictions. And how to get around them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, like, for instance, this year, the Republican and Democratic conventions are actually going to be held in July to go before the Olympic Games. And the Republicans especially wanted a July convention to help avoid a drawn-out primary because you know what a drawn-out primary does. It causes all kinds of factions and um yeah if you're a republican you should be really thankful that um you're pretty unified at this point <laughs> i suppose we could say that uh, the uh like i said earlier each party kind of sets up what their formatting for the convention is and um it, you may have a larger delegation or a smaller delegation, uh, depending on population, uh, representatives in Congress, different officials who are part of the party. Uh, pretty much if you, um, you know, so the, the Democrats with the superdelegates. And by the way, that's not the official name. We didn't mention that in the last episode that their official name isn't superdelegates, but it isn't. It should uh, be. The, yeah, it should be. That should be a name. They call themselves superdelegates. They know it. Uh, the they rip off their uh, shirt. A lot of different the t-shirt with a no. <laughs> a lot of different factors go into play on on who is um, able to participate and how many people participate in it. Yeah. So where do these shindigs happen? Well, they're usually selected by 
the National Party Convention um, about oh, a year and a half to two years before the election is held. So they try to make it happen in an area that really would see an economic boost. You might want to consider having your convention in a battleground state, perhaps. Um, but back in the early days, chances are, if you were having a political convention, you went to Baltimore. Yeah, seems to be the place to be. Really close to Washington. Everybody can get there pretty easily. Makes sense to me. Yeah. But in recent years, um, probably most notably back in 2011, 2012, the Democrats actually had the election in North Carolina because, well, over the last several decades, North Carolina and the rest of the South went pretty Republican. And they thought, hey, you know what would be really cool? Put the Democratic National Convention in Charlotte, North Carolina. And it really did help Obama out with that election. Yeah. And then in 2004, they actually had the Republican National Convention in New York City. And, uh, you know, you can you can imagine that the memories of September 11th and George Bush's leadership as a Republican president um, really played a lot into the kind of patriotism that was uh, found in that convention as well. So, um, yeah, there's lots of lots of factors that go into deciding where to have a convention. But one of the biggest parts is somewhere to hold everybody. And they used to have them inside convention centers, but they got too too big for convention centers. So now we're looking at like giant sports arenas and giant stadiums. And yeah, it gets, it gets a lot bigger and bigger and bigger every year. Yeah. So the last day of the 2012 Democratic National Convention was actually scheduled for an outdoor football stadium. It didn't happen because of weather concerns, but yeah, all kinds of different places you can have conventions. So Jason, I kind of joked around a little earlier that really the big thing that happens is everybody says the name of who they really want to vote for, but what else happens at uh, these giant conferences? Like we said earlier, they select the platform. Um, hopefully they're sober <laughs> when doing that. <laughs> um, you know, they're voting. They're, they're saying, Hey, we, we want this person to become our nominee. They give a lot of speeches. They pull in a ton of people from the past. <laughs> um, sometimes famous speeches are made by young unknowns, like a young Bill Clinton and a young, Barack Obama um, have been known to give very famous speeches that propelled them to the national stage. Recently, I was conducting trivia for a group of people, and one of the questions that came up was, who holds the record for the longest uh, longest nominating speech? And uh, of course, I knew the answer, but no one got it correct that it was Bill Clinton. And I said, if you guys had listened to Election College... You would know. And then he also gave, you know, like he said, a couple other records as well. But yeah, there's a lot of speeches that happen uh, during the convention. And mostly it's just here's 10 words and then clapping for like three minutes. And then here's 15 words and then clapping for another three minutes. So it's a lot of clapping and speeches at the same time. <laughs> so do you want to talk a little bit about the history of the early conventions? Yeah, I think that's probably a great idea. 
Yeah. So in the early 19th century, uh, members of Congress actually met within their party caucuses to select their party's nominee. And there were conflicts between the interests of the Eastern congressional class and citizens in the newer Western states. And in 1824, this really reached a boiling point. And factions of the Democratic Republican Party actually rejected the caucus nominee, who was William Crawford from Georgia. And they were like, we like Q. So uh, John Quincy Adams, Henry Clay, and Andrew Jackson, a.k.a. Andy Jack, actually carried more states than Crawford. And they were like, anybody but Crawford. So <laughs> In uh, 1831, I think you remember some of us, Sorry, some of you probably remember us talking about the Anti-Masonic Party, which pretty much just existed to get rid of the Masons. Uh, at least that's what we like to say. They had their convention in Baltimore, and we talked about Baltimore a little bit earlier, and they wanted to select their presidential candidate. And then guess what? Pretty quickly thereafter, Republicans and Democrats start going to Baltimore. Oh, yeah. So conventions were not necessarily very friendly, um, they actually were pretty, <laughs> um, I don't know if you want to say violent, but they were um, confrontational, let's put it that way. And there was all kinds of smoke-filled rooms, you know, where deals were being made. And the political bosses were in charge. And really, it it was not a very transparent process. Do you think that it's not, uh, do you think it's any more transparent now, Jason? I don't know. You know, it's all kind of played out there in the public. And I think that's part of the reason why we think it's so horrible now, the way things are conducted. But I don't know. Is it better to have it out in the open more like it is now or like it used to be? Yeah. That's or does question. it still happen? That's true. Uh, I'd, I'd like to think that it doesn't, but... Who knows? Hey, so uh, you would probably remember us talking a few instances about different really long nomination processes and uh, things like that. This is where it comes into play that, you know, back, back before we had these decided nominees before the conventions, if there was disagreement or somebody didn't get it on the first ballot, it was anything goes and anybody can become the nominee. And that's where the dark horse candidates come in and some of them become the president later on. And you can go back and listen to our uh, contested conventions uh, episode a few episodes ago about that again. But it was kind of like the wild, wild west for a while. Uh, hey, you didn't get the vote on the first one. Well, too bad. We uh, we all got together and decided this other guy should get it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and if you remember some of the episodes that were in the 1960s, you know, you had all kinds of different factions of the Democratic Party, especially. And if it seems like we're picking on the Democrats a lot lately, it's just that their conventions are a little bit more interesting than the Republicans, by and large. For sure. There were some interesting things going on with Ford and Reagan in the 70s, but... Um, really in the sixties, you had all kinds of, um, civil rights issues going on and you had, um, issues dealing with, um, the Vietnam War. So, um, there were a lot of things that had to be hashed out, um, during this, this, these several days that the parties would meet. And 
oftentimes, especially in the 60s, it would result in rioting, which isn't cool. Yeah. No, you never want to have rioting. Uh, and I have a feeling that that rioting will probably resume, uh, if not this year, in the near future, during those things. It just seems like, uh, well, that's just my political commentary. I think riots will probably happen again soon at conventions. But hopefully not. I hope I am dead wrong. But we'll see. Yeah, hopefully you're wrong. On that. Uh, yeah. Hey, so television kind of has made conventions more accessible to everybody. So uh, a lot of people had no idea what was going on at these conventions for the longest time. And now we have TV so we can see the people acting crazy and being excited about the candidates as they're being nominated. So um, there has been a shift from no one cares to, oh, it'll be on the radio to every station stops their coverage and starts coverage on the convention while it's going on. And it's quite the national um, spectacle, I suppose you could say. Yeah, I would say spectacle is the right way to put it. I mean, basically, um, Ted Koppel had it right. He was quoted uh, back in the in 1996 as saying um, about political conventions pretty much being an, more of an infomercial than a news event. And it is true. It's it's several days where um, you're going to put your party's best foot forward, hopefully, and you got all this free network coverage. It is one big infomercial for your, your party. Yeah. Might as well take advantage of it, I suppose. All right, Jason, do you have uh, anything else to say about political conventions and how they work and stuff like that? Not really. <laughs> I mean, we've got a couple coming up. We've got the Republicans who will be in Cleveland. We've got the Democrats who will be in Philly. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how it all pans out because no matter what, there are people who are not going to be in agreement with their party's nominee. So we're already starting to see the beginning stages of... Um, what could be an unprecedented convention year with controversy? Hey, Jason, the uh, remember the Prohibition Party? Yeah, they're they're still around. Their um, their conference is by, I'm sorry, their convention is by conference call this year. Oh, so that's something that's that. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I know that their party is small, and so I'm not mocking them in that sense, but uh, it it makes sense, like. They're a small party. We have technology. Why bother like spending tens of thousands, if not millions of dollars on a convention when you can just like, hey, let's set up a Skype call. Exactly. Sounds good to me. Save a lot of money that way. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we like to save money and also make money. And so if you head over to <laughs> electioncollege.com slash Amazon, anytime you're going to shop on Amazon, You'll be helping Ben and Jason out and helping Election College, which means helping the entire world because we're invaluable, obviously. Yeah, we're kind of nice guys who have this podcast. And uh, you, when you shop Amazon using our affiliate link, it really helps offset the cost of hosting and other things. The talent. Yeah, right. If you have 90 seconds, leave us a review over on iTunes. Visit electioncollege.com slash iTunes and leave us a star rating and review. And we promise you, we will giggle like little children 
are very happy when you do that. If it's good, if it's bad, we'll cry like little children. Yeah. Whatever. Do what you want. Hey, uh, make sure to interact with us on the social medias. Um, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram are great places to go. Twitter is an amazing place to get political news really quickly as well. Just putting that out there. Uh, We would love to interact with you in any way we can and say hey. Yeah. We promise we'll say hey back. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. See ya. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.